Last week at uh, the gathering, um, I said over a four-week period, we was going to look at who the Lord Jesus Christ is. Who is Jesus? I'm tracking through, been reading, should I say, uh, a great book by Greg Gilbert. His book is called Who is Jesus? Which is really appropriate. It's a great little book, and I, I would encourage you to buy a copy It's brilliant, and it's really heartwarming. So we're going to be looking at at Jesus Christ tonight, and we're going to focus on his identity. Who is he? You may say to yourself, why do we keep coming back looking at who is Jesus? Interestingly, if we read the Bible Jesus didn't think that his identity wasn't important. He didn't, he didn't think it was irrelevant or something to be questioned. If we look at the Bible, Jesus says, Knowing that to know who I am is a matter of life and death. See, throughout the Bible, it teaches this, is that the Christian life, knowing Jesus... It's glorious, it's exciting, it's full of undeserved privileges. Just speak to any Christian here tonight. Being a Christian is glorious. Nevertheless, Jesus Jesus taught that an individual's eternal destiny is their direction of travel when they die, is heaven or hell, Life or death rested upon who is Jesus? Who is he? How do you relate to him? It's why last week we looked at Jesus being the the king of kings. That God himself had always promised not merely to send the king, but the Bible said that God said that I, I will be the king. See, he sent a king who reigns. He sent a king who saves and because Jesus Christ is a king, as the Bible says, is that we, we owe an allegiance to the king. If the king reigns, we owe an allegiance to him. And he's a king that saves against treason. Remember last week I said this, that every single individual who is born is born into treason. We hate God. We want to overthrow the king. We want our own glory, and we're not worried about God's glory. It's why the identity of Jesus Christ is so important, and we need to get to grips with it. Why did he come? What has Jesus done? What is still to be accomplished when the Lord Jesus Christ returns? So this week, I want us to look at Jesus Christ, who he is as God, but being one of us but being one of us. Jesus Christ being fully God, but also what we're going to look at tonight is Jesus Christ being fully man, like one of us. I think this is really important because often, and rightly, we do this as Christians. We focus on the the divinity of Jesus, him being God, 
but we miss the depths of the humanity of Jesus Christ. We focus on one, but we don't give a lot of attention to the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in regards to looking at, at Jesus being fully man, I want to look at it under three simple titles. What does it mean? What does it do? And what's it for? What does it mean? What does it do? What's it for? And our verse to help us to understand this, Jesus being fully man, is John chapter 1, verse 14. And the context of this verse is that in John's Gospel, in verses, you can follow with me, turn to your Bibles, um, in John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 14. In verses 1 to 3, John has just clearly identified Jesus as the Word. He's the Word. Then he says, in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, among, among us, and we have seen his glory, glory of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. In this verse, John is communicating that Jesus Christ is the entire message. He's the whole message, God's message, sent to earth. The message, the king has come. Jesus is here to save. John is saying that it's Jesus Christ who is the embodiment of God's message. The king has come. He's here. See, Christians call this reality the, the incarnation, which is a Latin word which means enfleshment. It's the idea of Jesus taking on flesh. However, God didn't do this. God didn't clothe Jesus in uh, human skin. Jesus was fully man. He was human to his core. He was a, a man. It's why Jesus is described as being fully God, but also he is fully man. The Word became flesh. Jesus became flesh. See, the early church considered this truth really, really important. Really important. It's so important to recognise that Jesus is not simply partly man, that he is absolutely fully man. Everything that belongs to the essence of true humanity is true to him. Jesus is, is fully man as every single one of us here tonight at St. James. But let's not forget that Jesus, he was also divine. He's God. He's both fully man, but he's divine. Both his divine and human nature are full and complete. It's mind-boggling, isn't it, to get your head around it? Imagine. Each nature remains distinct, but still Jesus Christ is, is one person. Jesus is both God and man, divine and human. Jesus. Okay. What does it... What, what do we do with it? What does it mean? See, why is it really important to look at it? Why is it 
important enough where it lays out the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's really, really important, Jesus said, what people think of me. Being mindful that Jesus said it's a matter of life and death. He turned around on Peter and said, who do you think I am? It's important to Jesus. What is Jesus Christ being fully mad? What does it mean? Let me tell you what it does. And I found this really, really exciting and, and, and helpful for me when I, I was looking at it this week. It's important because Jesus didn't come to only show us what real flourishing humanity looks like, what a life looks like and knowing God, how to flourish on earth. The reason why Jesus came as a human, as a man, because we needed him to. Every one of us, we needed Jesus too. We needed the king to come. God had to send the king, the incarnation, God becoming a man. See, Jesus came as a man to represent us, to be our representative before God, to act as our substitute. Ultimately, that's why Jesus came to represent us. Part of what Jesus was doing when he became human, therefore, he was identifying with us, knowing us, so he could truly, as a God-man, represent us. I didn't mention it last week, but when we were looking at the baptism of Jesus in Mark 1, on that first day of Jesus' public ministry, that's why he got baptised by John the Baptist. See, Jesus was being baptised not because he needed to repent of any sin, but he was making it clear that he was fully and completely identifying with us as sinful human beings. Identification. See, do you see what he's doing? Do you get it? See, Jesus was doing this. He was, he was meeting us where we're at. He was stepping into our shoes. He was locking arms with us. Jesus was a God-man who, who stood at the altar with sinful, broken man, and he said this, for better and for worse. And the Lord Jesus Christ, he knew that he was going to get the worst. Where am I heading? Get this. So to appease the penalty of sin, the treason against God, what I mentioned last week, there had to be, Jesus had to be a man on the cross, a human man, a real soul to appease God. See, to put things right with God, the only means was through a person, a human person. See, this is why Jesus' humanity is so, so important. It's key. The only person who could pay for this treason, it had to be a different man. It had to be a divine man. And it had to be a divine man who could bear and satisfy God's wrath, God's rightful anger against sin. How could, 
Let me ask you a question. How could God be just if the end verdict wouldn't be judgment against sin and evil? Don't each of us, when uh, an action which is sinful or bad against us happens, we want justice. We want it judged. In order to bear the weight of God's wrath, it was essential that Jesus was a man, a perfect man, a saviour, a divine man. See, in order to satisfy God's wrath, there needed to be a sacrifice of God of such value that it would please God and God would accept it. Only Jesus Christ as God and fully man could bring a, a sacrifice of intimate and eternal value to God, which would propitiate, would appease God. It had to be Jesus' broken body and his shed blood. I don't know where you are here tonight, but if you're not a Christian here tonight, then a way to explain the Christian message is that by virtue of his divine nature, but also his humanity, Jesus Christ has earned for us eternal life and favour with God. That's what he's done. In short, the gospel message, the message that I said about at the beginning, what Jesus absolutely, as you read the Bible, he embodies, is that Jesus Christ as truly God and also fully man is the only one who can satisfy God's wrath and secure for us a true and righteous life. A life which is so different from the life what the world promises to us. Okay, what's it for? What do we do with it as, as Christians here tonight? At, at, no, as individuals here tonight, what do we do with it? If the king reigns, regardless if you know God or not, what do we do with it as individuals underneath the king's reign? See, what does it mean in being fully God? What do we do with it? Three things we do with it. This should bring us great comfort. This should make us really humble. And this should lead us to glorious, heartfelt worship. See, the comforting thing about Jesus being fully man is he did not only share in our nature, but he came to identify with us, to experience our mankindness, our fallen nature. But Jesus did not sin in his identification with us. Jesus Christ, really important, he was sinless. He was perfect. See, Jesus had to come around to identify with us, to understand our, our weakness, our, our fouties, the way that we blow it as human beings, our struggles in life, our anxiety. He had to be a man to experience that. See, this is why it should be so comforting to us as Christians and individuals. Jesus Christ, the God-man, 
He knows. He has experienced the things that we do. Because he is a man, he knows us intimately. He sees our hearts. Because he is a man, he can come and aid us as a sympathetic king. He understands our weakness, our faulties. See, simply put, he's he's a God-man who we can relate to because he knows us and he loves us. Jesus Christ is not there. He's not far off, but he's in the interwoven details of our lives. See, because he is God in the flesh and man, Jesus knows our day-to-day experiences when we go to work and we've got that boss who's really, really annoying. It's really hard to love him. Jesus knows when we blow it as parents, when we say the wrong things and we think, I wish I was further along on my Christian walk. Jesus knows our experiences and he knows it firsthand. He was tempted. The Lord Jesus Christ was persecuted. He was poor. He was despised. He suffered the pain and he endured the sorrows of lingering, the most cruel death. See, only a human being could experience these things. Only a human being could could fully understand a human experience. Despite those times when we think that God is distant, when God is not with us, God knows us. He loves us. And he understands our trials. And this should make us absolutely humble. Last week we looked at Jesus being the king. And if we take last week and we look at Jesus being fully man and we bring them together, then we will see that Lord Jesus Christ, he's not a typical king. He's an absolutely a different king. He could have come in the flesh as an all-conquering king, a king to be served. King Jesus, with authority, a pressure authority. I am the king, but he didn't come like that. He came to be to serve and to die. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, it says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for money, for many. I find this astonishing. If we had such such power in the incarnation. I wonder how many of us would have come to earth in the flesh. Would we have come like Jesus? Would we have? When we think about Jesus, his humanity, his humility, should I say, was on display from the beginning, from the end, from Bethlehem to Golgotha. As we look at Jesus being fully man and fully God, the way that he lived his life on earth, the way he loved people, served people, the way that he prayed to his Father, it should lead us to sacrificial and humble worship. It should be a trait that we see among us as Christians. 
humility and sacrificial worship. It should lead us, last of all, to worship. Worship. The incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ is such a magnificent and glorious truth, it should fuel our worship as Christians. It should move our hearts. It should lead all of us to worshiping him. Jesus, he came as a man to to save us because God loves us. The eternal word became foul and blood to save us, to redeem us, to free us. And now we can marvel at the uniqueness. It's unique. Of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is fully God, but also fully man. Jesus now, imagine as we sit here, is at God's right-hand side as a man, interceding for us, praying for us, loving us for all eternity, a man. It should move our hearts to worship. We often look at the divinity of Jesus Christ, but his humanity is absolutely glorious as well. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, who is fully divine, who is God, and also fully human. Thank you that in his humanity, he can identify us because he knows our experiences. And Father, we pray that day by day, year by year, that you would help us to come to him more, to love him more, and to worship him more. Amen. Amen.